We have lots of metrics, but the one that is most striking, I think, is uh, last year we did 8,500 skier visits. This year we topped 96,000 skier visits. You know, it's an 1,100% increase. It's just exploded. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester. IndyPass dropped their 21 to 22 pass products today, and we're going to go deep on the new partners and everything else. First, though, some admin. As always, I'm going to tell you to visit stormskiing.com to subscribe to the free Storm Skiing newsletter. If you're a subscriber, you have already received a complete breakdown of the new IndyPass suite earlier today. Also, go ahead and follow us on Twitter at Storm Ski Journal. First, Quick word from my partners, Mountain Gazette and Helly Hansen. The Storm Skiing Podcast is brought to you in part by Mountain Gazette. Founded in 1966, Mountain Gazette is a biannual, large format print title celebrating mountain culture. Issue 195 is at the printer, and it is going to be awesome. We've got a spring skiing gallery by legendary Alta-based photographer Lee Cohen. Amanda Monty's stunning essay on the folks fighting fires in the West, a Q&A with New Hampshire governor and Waterville Valley owner Chris Nunu, an essay about the rising sun by former free skier editor Donnie O'Neill, an exploration of an upstate New York Harley Davidson club by photographer Jason Roman, and the return of the jaded local who comes over from Powder Magazine. And that's just the start. This thing will be loaded with photos and stories from mountain towns around the country. Look, we told you last time that issue 194 would sell out, and it did. Demand for the magazine is high. We expect this next issue to sell out as well. Don't miss out. Head over to mountaingazette.com and enter code GOHIRE10, all one word, for 10% off subscriptions. Use code EASTCOAST, all one word, for 10% off everything else, including vintage magazine covers, which make great art for your home office or living room. Mountain Gazette. When in doubt, go higher. This episode of the Storm Skiing Podcast is also brought to you in part by Helly Hansen, the brand that has been making professional-grade gear for more than 140 years. And listen, if you're getting excited about spring touring and summer hiking, then you need to check out their new groundbreaking Odin 9 World's Infinity Shell Jacket. This is the newest iteration of their award-winning jacket, and it features their Leafa Infinity Pro Technology which doesn't use any added chemical treatments. That means you never have to reproof your jacket. It's easier to care for and there's much less environmental impact. The best news is that this environmentally friendly upgrade did not come at the sacrifice of performance. Helly Hansen has worked with search and rescue organizations around the world to make sure it has the performance these teams demand. So if you want to get your hands on a men's or women's Odin 9 World's Infinity Shell Jacket, or anything from the brand's new spring and summer collection, just visit the Helly Hansen Boston or Burlington store and mention this Storm Skiing Podcast to get 18.77% off. Why 18.77%? Because that's the year they were founded. That's right, more than 140 years ago. Episode 45, Indy Pass President and Founder Doug Fish. It's back. The IndyPass enters its third year with 66 partners, including three new ones. And one of them is huge. Powder Mountain, Utah. That's a monster. 
and a big moment for that pass. This is becoming a destination product, and it's becoming a real alternative to the Epic and Icon passes, or a good complement to them. There are now plenty of indie pass ski areas in plenty of ski regions where you can spend a great weekend. But with that growth comes changes. The price is up big, jumping from $199 last season to $279 this coming season. There are also a lot more blackouts this year. You can avoid those by throwing down another $100 for an Indy Plus Pass. I think a lot of people were expecting that. If you weren't, you haven't been paying attention. This is not the same pass that launched with 34 ski areas two years ago. This is a totally different thing with way more access to way more ski areas and more high quality ski areas than most of us expected this pass to ever have. We are going to talk about all of that with the man who made the Indy Pass materialize out of his head. Let's do it. My guest today is the president and founder of the Indy Pass, which for the 2021 to 22 ski season will provide two days of skiing at each of 66 ski areas in the U.S. and Canada for $279. The Indy Pass is the fastest growing multi-mountain pass in North America. Doug Fish is my guest. Doug, so good to have you back on the program. Stu, it's great to be here again. I'm, uh, I'm honored, as always. So, Doug, you just completed a multi-week trip through the American West. Tell us about that trip and what you were trying to accomplish. Well, it was a great trip. Uh, I spent a month on the road, uh, rented an Airstream trailer, loaded up my Black Lab Billy, and uh, we hit the road uh, for 28 days. I visited 25 resorts and skied at 20, visited with management teams at, at uh, uh, 25, and uh, by the time I got back, I was ready to sleep in my own bed. I can tell you, <laughs> but it was it was it was a you know it was just a a trip that needed to happen uh, for for a lot of reasons. How many of those twenty five resorts were current partners, and how many of those were prospects? Uh, you know, about a third were probably prospects. Um, yeah, I skied at Winter Park. You know, they're not a prospect, but uh, that was kind of nice. Um, and, uh, you know, but but mainly I wanted to get out and visit some of these uh, resorts I'd never been to before. And some of them have been on the pass for two years, 49 North. Um, but, you know, a lot of new ones, Snow King, Pomerel, Soldier, um, uh, Lost Trail. They've been on for two years, uh, you know. And it was just great to reconnect with a lot of people. Um, you know, I started in L.A. actually and, and made my way up the coast and then uh, looped over into uh, Montana and down through the Rockies. Um, and, um, you know, just had a fantastic trip, had some great meetings, uh, some good skiing, good spring skiing. I, I got no powder, unfortunately. <laughs> I was in between all the, the, the storms, I guess. They either came before or after me. But uh, it, it was very fun. My, my intention this year had been to uh, fly into upstate New York and um, start there and make my way down to North Carolina through the, the mid-Atlantic states where I, I haven't had a chance to visit yet. And due to COVID, you know, that just became impossible. And I, I wasn't really planning on doing a, even a, a drive trip in the West, but I figured with a trailer and COVID seemed to be kind of waning by, uh, you know, late February, uh, I figured, you know, if I stayed in a trailer, I, I, I would be okay. And so I decided to strike out on my trip. I, I've been doing my own indie 
ski tour on the other side of the country. And one of the things that's that's been pretty refreshing is as you go to these little quirky places, they they have a lot of character and they have a lot of surprises. What, what surprised you on this trip, Doug? Like, what, were there ski areas that you just fell in love with that you didn't really know much about? Or were there other things that, you know, you didn't hit great conditions, so you didn't have that as sort of this, sometimes that skews the way people feel about a ski area, right? You hit in a great yeah. day and it's just, it's your favorite place forever. But, but yeah. on this trip, what resonated with you? Um, that's a good question. The, I did this trip two years ago when I was just starting this project and Dandy Pass was still just a concept. And what the biggest uh, thing I noticed is that when I showed up, people were really glad to see me and, you know, I wanted to shake my hand. <laughs> Two years ago, they were like, who are you? And, you know, <laughs> I don't really have time, but I'll give you five minutes. <laughs> uh, so that was, you know, that was refreshing. And, um, but, you know, what, what strikes me, Stu, is just how incredibly fun and interesting these resorts are, these, these ski areas. Uh, you can't even call some of them resorts. Um, you know, um, White Pine in uh, uh, western Wyoming, a place I had never heard of before. And, and I get there, I pull in, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, the sun's going down. It's just a beautiful evening. It's warm out. The the owner comes out and greets me in the parking lot. Says, "Oh, we're so great! You know, happy to see you." And uh, you need to come up to the bar and and have a beer, sit on the deck. And oh, by the way, um, there's going to be one other uh, RV parked in the lot tonight with you. And it just happens to be a couple of indie pass holders from New Hampshire. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. And. <laughs> I went up and met them and, and they were great. And we, we just had a good old time. And then, you know, we skied the next day. And what, what, what is just blows me away about these places is that they're just so fun to ski and there's so much terrain, you know, um, that it, it, it's hard to, to um, get that across to people that, you know, on a, on a trail map or, you know, when you look at the stats, some of these smaller resorts don't seem like much, you know, mm -hmm. but when you get there, they're like, you're like, wow, this is a huge playground and I can go clear over there and look at that, you know, look at that other peak way over there. And, you know, there's just so much terrain to cover and you're the only one there, you know, <laughs> that's, it just blow, blows me away because I mean, I'm, I'm looking down some of these runs, you know, thousand vertical 1500 vertical i'm the only one on the run right and and you know that's what it's like just day after day after day and um you know that that's the that's the message that we're trying to get out to people is that you know if you haven't checked these places out you, you may never have heard of them but man oh man they are they've got a lot to offer I think a lot of it gets lost in context, right? Because, you know, from an East Coast point of view, for example, when we look out West, we're looking at Vail or Park City and these places that are thousands and thousands of acres. And that right. sort of becomes our basis of comparison. So when we look at a place yeah. like Brundage, that's 1500 acres or whatever it is, we're like, oh, that's small, but that's bigger than anything in the East, right? That'll eat yes. up two days pretty easily. Right, right. And 
um, we get spoiled too, you know, and then we get, we get the skewed sense of, you know, what's, what's normal. And, um, uh, you know, it's just, um, uh, it's so fun to hit these little places, um, and, uh, experience that it's just, uh, it's just really a joy. So as you said, your reception was much different now than it was just two years ago. And this thing has really exploded the Indy pass and, I've watched it grow from a distance. You know, just how fast is this thing growing, Doug? Are there any metrics you can give us to compare the 2020 to 21 Indy Pass sales to 2019 to 20 sales? Mm -hmm. We have lots of metrics, but the one that is most striking, I think, is uh, last year we did 8,500 skier visits. This year we topped 96,000 skier visits. Wow. You know, it's an 1,100% increase. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's just exploded, you know, for, for a variety of reasons. And you're getting attention. Uh, your new partners are impressive powder mountain. Mm -hmm. That is huge. Mm -hmm. Congratulations on that signing 8,000 acres, three of those, 3000 of those are lift serve. Uh, what does powder mountain bring to the Indy pass? Well, an incredible brand. You know, I think they've done a fantastic job of uh, creating the, the mystique of Powder Mountain. And uh, they deliver. You know, I, I skied there last year and I visited there again this year. Um, it's an incredible place. It's a bucket list. Uh, there's no question. It's a bucket list resort. Um, it delivers powder days and days after the storm. You know, most resorts are done by noon, maybe 4 p.m. But you can find fresh tracks at Powder Mountain a week after the storm. You know, you may have to hike a little ways, but it's not a, you know, it's not like having to skin up and, and climb. You just get off the chair and traverse <laughs> and you'll find tracks. Um, it's just, just an amazing place. And it's our second mountain in Utah. Uh, it pairs very nicely with Beaver Mountain, which is uh, an hour and a half, maybe an hour away. Yeah, Powder is uh, Powder Mountain has done a nice job keeping the crowds under control as the Wasatch Mountains have really gotten very busy. I was at Alta Snowbird last year for a storm cycle. And, you know, it, 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 being at Alta Snowbird on a Powder Day is a special experience and it's amazing. And and you'll never forget it. But the truth is the locals are very smart. The mountains are very busy and they're tracked up in an hour. Yeah. Right. So it, it, th th those places are long past being a secret. And, and the icon pass is certainly not uh, discouraged more people from going there. Right. So yeah. so with with Powder Mountain, you, you have this the same kind of microclimate, maybe not quite as much snow as as little cottonwood, but you know, enough for most people. Well, five, 500 um, inches a year is, <laughs> is plenty. <laughs> right. And, and they, they're actively preserving this, this culture of, you know, kind of keeping this place, this powder kingdom for days after the storm. I, I think that they've done it by, um, you know, very simply limiting the number of skiers they allow on the mountain. And um, I think more and more indie resorts, independent resorts, I should say, are going to take that approach and because they're, they're realizing, and you know, this may be one of the many silver linings to COVID 
that if you can improve the experience, people are willing to pay more for it. And, um, you know, by limiting the number of people on the Hill, uh, you know, Magic has, has uh, made that proclamation this year. They're going to limit season pass sales. They're going to limit daily ticket sales. Um, more people will come. And, and you know, it's, it's, the, the concept has been around for 350 years. You know, supply and demand works. <laughs> and right. um, so, yeah, you know, they, they limit their daily tickets. They limit their season passes. And because they signed up, this year with uh, our technology partner into many systems, which is uh, who's, you know, been driving the, the tracking system and the e-com for the Indy pass. They now have the ability to meter their daily visits from an Indy pass. And, and what that means is they're going to give us an allotment of days on the weekends and a bigger allotment on the weekdays. Um, and you know, once they exceed that many reservations and they're going to cut it off if, uh, going into the weekend, uh, they don't have enough, uh, they haven't made very many reservations for their daily ticket sales and they'll open up some more slots for Indy pass. But, um, that was not, you know, the technology didn't exist to do that in the past. And, uh, you know, they had wanted to, to, they'd considered joining the Indy, Indy pass last year, but, uh, you know, we couldn't figure out a way around that, that issue. And so now that that's, uh, resolved, we've, uh, we've got them on the roster. A lot of your partners implemented similar limits this season. Do you anticipate a lot of your partners having these sorts of limits where they, they only sell so many Indy pass reservations and they cut them off? No. Um, I know Magic is gonna is gonna do that to some extent uh, on their peak days, and um, um, but I'm not aware of any others. And uh, we're gonna you know we're gonna address that issue with with uh, uh, blackouts, and you know that's the, that's the other lever we have to pull uh, to control supply and demand. Right. Yeah. That that, that seems like the way that a lot of resorts are going because you have 22 mountains planned with blackouts this season and, and you only had a handful last year. So it looks like they're learning the traffic patterns and, and what works and when to try to limit that. Yeah. And, you know, you got to realize uh, small to mid-sized resorts are coming off the biggest year in the history of skiing in, in this country. You know, I, I, I can't wait to see when the final numbers are in on, on the overall season. But, uh, you know, I would venture to guess that three quarters of our resorts set all time records for, for visits. And, you know, when you're coming off a season like that, um, of course, you're going to look at, at, you know, restricting areas where, you know, where you were hitting capacity, because nobody wants to end up like, you know, nobody wants to be known for two hour lift lines or one hour lift lines, you know, and these guys aren't used to that. They, they're, they're not used to having that problem and they don't want to get there. So, you know, something's got to give. At the same time, there was a lot of speculation that the powder mountain would never join a multi-pass because they do have so many limiting mechanisms already. They limit day ticket sales, they limit season mm-hmm. passes. Well, why do you think that they decided to join the Indy pass? 
because we bring them people who have never been there before. And, you know, those, 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 those guests are, are great. They're not a private club. And, um, you know, we'll generate visits to Powder Mountain that uh, would never have, have happened before. Beaver Mountain, just up the, up the road, um, out of uh, Logan, Utah, saw 93% of their Indie Pass visits come from out of state. Oh, wow. Okay. Only 7% of their Indie Pass visits, visitors, guests, Passholders lived in in Utah, and that's you know those are the same numbers we see at Brundage, at Red Lodge, at a lot of our Northern Rocky Mountain resorts. Um, we're we're driving people from out of state that would never go to those resorts otherwise, and we hear from from hundreds and hundreds, thousands of them by email and social media. Oh, this is great! I've visited places I never thought of going to. I had an awesome time, you know, count me in as a lifelong pass holder. And that's what we, we can do for a, a place like Powder Mountain. So once they get there, what are they going to find? The, the trail map is a little confusing as to what you can actually access. So they have your typical, you know, set of lifts and trails, and then they have a lot of sections where they name unconventional lifts. Okay. And some of those are snowcats up in Lightning Ridge and the Rain Tree Snowcat. Mm-hmm. When you buy a lift ticket, what does that get you access to? Because you have this lift served area and mm-hmm. you have these quote unquote unconventional lifts that are listed mm-hmm. on the trail map. And those are some of those are snowcats. Then you have these other zones that are outside of the lift network that have like kind of a black circle around them on the trail map. And they're they're labeled as uh, as guided touring areas. So I'm assuming that those are an extra fee. But but what comes with your lift ticket and what is extra? Well, you can access the entire service area, but uh, some of it's going to require some hiking. You know, um, I when I skied there, I I took the T bar. You know, I could see I could see untracked runs across the valley, and I, I thought, how do I get there? How do I get there? So I took a couple couple chairs, and I kept following you know my nose, and I came to this T bar, and it you know it took me up this ridge, and I got off, and I started traversing across and you know sure enough i found all this great glade skiing you know after about five minutes of traversing and um you know eventually i made my way back to a chairlift but you know that's that's the kind of terrain you get there and i mean it had been i don't know how many days i think it was three days since the last storm um but uh i mean they 80 8400 acres is a lot of terrain um, it's bigger than Whistler. It's bigger than Park City. And, you know, they don't have a vast lift network. You know, I, I think they, you know, they're going to continue to build on that. Um, but, um, you know, that's the charm of it. You know, if you're willing to work a little bit and um, um, you, you can access some great stuff. So, Doug, does this become your flagship resort in the West? Uh you know, that's a good question. I, I think, um, uh, ask, ask your mother, who, who is your favorite child? <laughs> um, I, I think that it, it's a, it, it's definitely has the strongest brand in, in, in the West. Um, 
terrain is a matter of opinion, though. Some people, you know, the thought of traversing for five minutes to access uh, 25 turns, that's, that doesn't appeal to them. Um, but if, you're, if you like powder and, um, um, you know, you don't mind, a, 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 you know, a little bit of a hike, you know, on day two or three, hey, there, there's nothing better than powder mountain. I don't, I don't care, you know, what pass you've got. It also seems like it helps from a coalition building point of view, right? So if you look at the past year, you signed Canon and that was sort of signaling to these other large Northeastern ski resorts. Okay. This is a legit coalition. We're joining on next thing you know, you got J peak, then you got Saddleback, then you got Waterville Valley. And I was looking back at your initial press release when you launched and your headliner in the East end was magic mountain. Nothing against mm-hmm. magic. It's a great ski area. Um, right. But you know, you got one fixed grip, uh, double lift to the summit. It's, it's just not as built up. It doesn't have the infrastructure of these other places does. It doesn't have the reputation. It doesn't have the skier visits. So once you have powder mountain, can't you say, Hey, whitefish, Hey, Sierra Tahoe, like look at these guys around here. Where are you? Yeah. Well, it, it doesn't hurt. Um, yeah. You know, nobody likes to go first in the ski business. I've, <laughs> I've said it a million times. And, um, you know, uh, I think everybody in the ski business and the ski resort business uh, keeps tabs on what everyone else is doing. Um, but, but I will say this, you know, every resort is unique. And, and not just, you know, the lodge or the lifts or the runs or whatever. They're unique in their market. They're, they're unique in who, who they target. They're unique in, in who goes there. They're unique in how they're run. And the Indy Pass doesn't make sense for some of these resorts. I mean, you mentioned Whitefish. You know, they, they're, they're, they're one of the biggest resorts by, by skier visits in the Northwest. And, um, you know, whatever they're, they're doing, they've got it figured out. They don't need the Indy Pass. Um, and so... Um, you know, the, the Indy pass will work for resorts that it'll work for, you know, it it will bring new people. It will, it will bring, um, uh, you know, folks to your resort and it'll gain you some, some notoriety as an independent resort. Um, uh, but it's a discount program, you know, let's face it, you know, the, 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 the basics of the Indy pass, it's, it's a discount card, you know, in, in another form. And, um, you know, if you're, if you own a ski resort and you sell out every day and you're getting top dollar for your lift tickets, you don't need a discount program. Um, and you know, if, if you're the only resort in, you know, Kalamazoo, um, and everybody skis there, then, Hey, you don't need a discount program. If you're, you know, one of 10 resorts in Kalamazoo and, um, you know, you're struggling to uh, gain market share you bet we can help you. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like that. And, uh, each resort, you know, joins for a different reason. Okay. So on the, on the more traditional side, then the, the resort that probably does need the Indy pass, you have Mount Ashland, another one of your new partners. Uh, Mm -hmm. this is pretty classic Indy resort. It's a good size, good snowfall. Um, but mm-hmm. most skiers outside of its immediate area are probably not familiar with it. So tell mm-hmm. us about Mount Ashland. Mount Ashland is near and dear to my heart. They're in my home state of Oregon, although four hours south of, 
of Portland, where I live, uh, they are uh, a, a resort that punches way above its weight. Um, they've got some incredible, legit uh, double black diamond shoots in a bowl um, that is just super fun to ski. And uh, at the same time, it's it's a it's a wonderful little community resort. It's an it's owned by the community. It's a nonprofit. And, um, it, um, it has this great old, um, you know, kind of, I don't know how you would describe the lodge, but it's, it's, um, a very cool old lodge and they're just, uh, 10 miles from the town of Ashland, Oregon, which is a, a an incredible tourist destination. They, they, that's where the Oregon Shakespearean festival, uh, takes place, which is a world renowned, uh, uh, theater company. And so consequently, they have amazing restaurants, tons of lodging, good lodging. And, um, you know, it's just a, it's a p- fun place to visit. So, um, you know, I think uh, uh, Mount Ashland is going to see a lot of people that, that, uh, you know, string together um, a, a string of I-5 pearls, you know, starting in uh, Washington with Mission Ridge or, or White Pass and work their way down to Hoodoo and then uh, uh, Mount Ashland there in Southern Oregon and then uh, pop down to um, Shasta, you know, Mount Shasta, just an hour and a half south. Uh, from, from Ashland, you can also head east and, and get uh, uh, Mount, some incredible cat skiing at Mount Bailey, which is a, a private cat skiing operation. That's the only thing on, on Mount Bailey. Or, you know, go a couple hours farther to Mount Bachelor. That's, that's the, the biggest mountain between uh, uh, Squaw Valley and Whistler. So, you know, any pass explorers, we call them, they're not just skiing at indie resorts. They're mixing it up, you know, whether they've got a, a mountain collective or they've got an icon or an epic or, you know, they're just uh, winging it. But, um, you know... Mount Ashland is strategically located for a, for a lot of things, and it's a really fun fun hill. Yeah, it's interesting. It's I, I noticed it's so close to Interstate Five that they actually painted it on their trail map. So <laughs> right. was that was that deliberate on your part to try to build that density? I, I know you've said you don't want too much density because in the past that's inviting overuse. But you know, Shasta was kind of orphaned before and, and, and yeah. setting off in Northern California alone and, and Hoodoo didn't really have any friends either. Does, does dropping a ski area in between them give you a better selling point in those local markets? Was, was that a deliberate thing yeah. that you were looking for? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we haven't sold any passes in Redding, California or Medford, Oregon, um, because nobody's going to buy the Indy Pass selling ski two days at one hill. But now that we have two, you know, now you can ski four days at two hills and sleep in your own bed. And so now we can sell some passes in that part of the country. And some of those folks are going to venture out farther. Some of them are going to make it south to China Peak. Some of them are going to make it farther north to Hoodoo or they're going to head east, you know. Um, that's what density does for us. And, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit of a, a puzzle that we are putting together. We look at the map and, you know, We've got an analysis of, of how far people drive to, to get to their Indie Pass resort. And, you know, we know where we've got some gaps. And so it's a, it's a process of, of um, 
filling them in. So on the other side of the country, out in my neighborhood, you have plenty of density and you've added West Mountain. And this mm -hmm. is a mountain that has really undergone a major renaissance over the past several years under the Montgomery's who were recently on my podcast. Uh, they've done an amazing job. I really cannot say enough good things about what they've done to revitalize that mountain, which was basically decaying and, and about mm -hmm. to be abandoned. And they took it over and it, it just just gave it a complete facelift. So they told me on the podcast that they almost joined the Indy Pass last year, but backed out because of COVID. Uh, so mm -hmm. what made them pull the trigger this year, Doug? Well, I assume it was because COVID's, you know, relatively over or, you know, will be greatly diminished by next ski season. And I think too, you know, uh, the ski industry has learned to live with it, even if it's still around. So, you know, there was a lot of fear last summer, understandably. And, um, uh, you know, we had some great conversations with, with Sarah and, uh, and then, you know, things started to get crazy with COVID and, and, uh, they just decided to hold off. But, um, no, I think they're going to be a great fit for us. Uh, they, again, they, you know, give us a presence in a part of the, uh, Northeast where, where we don't have one, the Adirondacks, uh, gives us, uh, some, um, you know, some marketability in Albany and, and, and those areas. So, uh, we're, we're thrilled. I think, um, what they've done up there, uh, to revitalize that resort is, is just incredible. And, and, um, you know, we're anxious to tell the world about it. And they're far from done too. They really want to build out the bed base there and mm -hmm. keep expanding. So that's going to be an exciting story. And I'm glad AD Pass is part of that. You know, it, that, that makes your fifth ski area in New York state. So you have Greek peak, you have Swain, you have uh, snow Ridge and you have Catamount, which is on the New York, Massachusetts border. Mm -hmm. New York is just a really weird ski state to me. And I've lived here 20 years and I still, I still have trouble kind of making sense of it. So it has a lot of ski areas more than any other state, but they're really spread out. Most of them are not that big. They're not that built up, you know, high speed lifts, mm -hmm. slope side lodging, that kind of stuff is rare. Um, you have five partners in New York now, but they don't make sense in relation to one another as far as being able to pair them on a trip. Like in Vermont, you could do Bolton Valley, then you could drive up to JP, right? And, and in New York, right. that makes less sense the way that your mountains are kind of spread out. And that's not right. really you, that's just kind of New York. So what's your New York strategy? How do you make sense of a state like this? <laughs> well, New York is a, is not only a diverse state, you know, in terms of lots of resorts, but it's big. It's, you know, really spread out and there's a lot of drive distances between all the resorts. So it's it's hard to, to string them together. Um, but I think, you know, we've got a great start. We've got some great partners in the state. Um, you know, Swain and, and Snow Ridge were great additions for us last year. And, and Greek Peak has been our anchor uh, there in, in, uh, in, in upstate New York. Uh, we've talked to Peak and Peak and Kissing Bridge. And, you know, uh, we always reach out to the folks at Holiday Valley every year. Um, so, you know, we'll see. There, there may be some possibilities there. And um, we're just thrilled to have West on board. You know, it gives us uh, one more um, point in the state and, uh, you know, give Greek Peak a little bit of help. And, and uh, I think we'll sell some more passes up there. You know, I got to ask you about Orta, Doug. <laughs> yes, Orta. Um, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so the, Bel Air, Gore and Whiteface all run by the Olympic Regional Development Authority, all owned by the state of New York. 
I think that would be another Northeast crown jewel to add to the pass. Any chance we see them on the pass? You know, uh, a lot of people have criticized us for partnering with state-owned resorts like Cannon Mountain in New Hampshire, Spirit Mountain in Minnesota. Uh, Mount Ashland is actually a community-owned um, uh, property. And, you know, they're not family-run. Uh, they have government backing, and some say they have an unfair advantage over small business. I disagree. Uh, when we added Cannon last, uh, last year, uh, it made a huge difference for us. Uh, I think it gave us some, some definitely gave us some cred, uh, but it uh, really helped our past sales in New England, and particularly in Boston and you know northern Massachusetts. And they may not have been the, the only reason for that growth, but I can tell you it, it was significant and it contributed to huge increases in visits at places like Black Mountain, Magic Mountain, Bolton Valley, all of those are traditional mom and pop resorts. And they benefited from having Canon on the pass. And, and you know, Canon knew that going in. They said, hey, we can help lift up some of these guys. I mean, uh, Pat's Peak, for an, another perfect example. I mean, you know, the rising tide lifts all the ships. And, you know, Cannon, you know, drop you drop cannon in the lake, and boy, the water level <laughs> rose. Um, so you know, Orda with their three major resorts uh, would be like adding an aircraft carrier to the Canadian right. Navy, <laughs> right? Yep. Um, I mean, it would create a huge shift in our redemption um, behavior, our purchase behavior. Um, you know, it, it, it would. I'm not sure what effect it would have. Obviously, we would sell a lot of passes and we'd get a lot of redemptions. And if it ever were uh, to be an option, we would definitely give it consideration. And uh, we would look at adding one or more of their resorts. Boy, I think you're right, especially West and Catamount would benefit from that because they're right there on that same travel corridor. Um, you know, after you added Cannon, you added... J Peak, Waterville Valley, and Saddleback. And even as I say that, I, I still can't believe I'm saying that, that those are all on a pass and that the pass is still as affordable as it is. Um, those complemented all of the smaller but really great mountains that you already had in New England, uh, from Berkshire East to Bolton Valley to Magic to Black, as you mentioned. Uh, with those signings, you have quite a lot of density now in New England. I think you're up to a dozen ski areas there. Are you done in New England? We are done for the year. We're not going to add any more in New England um, until we see what this current lineup will do. And there's really not a lot of big ones left anyway. There's Mad River Glen, Smuggler's Notch, Bretton Woods. Probably the last ones left really on the caliber of those ones that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, if one of those came to you and said, hey, we want to join for next season, would you take that phone call? I think if MRG... I, I don't, th I don't think so, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we had a Waterville and Saddleback mid midstream and, uh, uh, it didn't, it, it kind of skewed our, um, what, what we were doing in terms of redemptions. I, I we really need to see what's going to, what's going to happen with this current lineup. MRG would be my, my first uh, choice. And, you know, as everyone knows, it's just a matter of time before JP gets scooped up by Altera or Epic or somebody else and, you know, probably leaves, leaves the Indy pass. 
And, uh, you know, we'll shed a tear when that happens, but uh, MRG would be a great replacement for JP. Um, Burke would be another great uh, option if that were to occur. So, you know, uh, we're going to stand pat um, and wait a year before we add any more ingredients to our, you know, mixed mixed bag of uh, resorts that we have already. And for anyone who hasn't listened to my podcast with Mad River Glen GM, Matt Lillard, uh, he did say that they would be interested in exploring an IndyPass partnership after COVID passed. So that is something that could be on the table for the future. Uh, as we look west, Doug, still no resorts in Colorado or Tahoe. It really seems to me that it's a matter of when, not if. I think this will happen. Uh, how are you feeling about this? Have you been in any talks with any resorts in those areas? Any momentum at all? Yes, uh, we have had some momentum, nothing to report, but, um, you know, I did visit with um, resorts in Tahoe and Colorado on my trip, and uh, we had good meetings, but, uh, you know, those are the two biggest markets in the country, arguably, for skier visits, and uh, again, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a, it, it's a, it's a whole nother league, you know, um, lift tickets in Tahoe are, you know, 150 to 200 plus, um, Colorado, you know, same thing. It's, um, it's just a different league. And, um, I think that, you know, I am confident that eventually, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be in those markets. Um, but it's hard to say when. And then in the middle of the country, no new Midwest partners in this announcement. You have a lot of strength in the Midwest, really nice network built up out there. Do you think you're done in the Midwest, at least for now? Um, Probably. However, you know, um, I'd like to talk to Chestnut in Illinois. I think they'd be a a really good complement to what we've got north of there. And, um, you know, if if Perfect Perfect North in Indiana wanted to – uh, take a look at it. I think they'd be a, make a good fit, but certainly um, we we're done expanding in Wisconsin and uh, Minnesota. And um, there's only really one left that I, I really covet and that's in your old neck of the woods and that's Nubs Knob. Um, I visited, uh, I drove up highway 131 last year, right before COVID shut everything down. And I just had a great trip hitting Caberfay and, and, uh, Shush Mountain and, and Crystal. Mm-hmm. And then I finished my trip at Nubs Knob and, uh, just really fell in love with that place. I mean, I, I they, they were all great, but Nubs is really special. And, um, you know, they, they just were a little bit leery of COVID and, and some other things. And, you know, uh, like I said, we'll reach out to them every year and, and uh, hopefully one, one of these days they'll, they'll break down and, uh, um, you know, give it a shot. Well, everybody loves Nubs Knob, that's for sure. And it's right across the street from an icon mountain, Boyne Highlands. So uh, if, if they want to join a coalition to fight back a little bit, it's nice to know that's available. That would be a great ad. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the top 10. I, I think skiers will be re- really interested in this, and mm-hmm. and I was too to see it. So to go in the top 10, um, starting from number one was Jay Peak in Redemptions, uh, number two, Cannon, number three, Lutzen Mountains, number four, Pat's Peak, number five, Bolton Valley, number six, Magic Mountain, 
number seven, Brundage, number eight, Berkshire East, number nine, Tamarack, number 10, White Pass. Uh, first of all, Doug, any surprises for you on that list? Not a one. Um, really? Yeah, I, 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 not, not, not really. No, I mean, I, I probably would have uh, picked the order a little bit differently, and I may, you know, I may not have placed Tamarack quite that high. Um, but you can see the pairing of Brundage and Tamarack. They're just, uh, you know, they're 25, 30 miles apart. Look, look what happens, you know, uh, you know, the, uh, the rising tide raised both of those ships. So no, I think it's a, it's a great mix. And number 11 was Granite Peak in Wisconsin. So that, that gives us two in um, uh, two in the Midwest, three in the West, six in the East. Um, and that's, that's about what I would expect. And, and many of those uh, who were with us last year were also in the top 10 last year. The Northeast really dominating there, six of the top 10 mountains. Before launching the Indy Pass, I believe you told me you'd never skied in the Northeast, and I'm not sure how familiar you were with the culture. Uh, as you've gotten to know Northeast ski culture, Northeast skiers, uh, what's your reaction to seeing so many Northeast mountains in the top 10? I'm thrilled. I, I think it's great. And, uh, you know, I, I had a feeling that uh, – the Northeast was going to be a good market for us because of the density. You know, if you look at the aggregate data for lift ticket prices, the Northeast is, you know, lags behind uh, the Rockies and the Southwest. And um, it's because there's so much competition and competition is good, good for the Indy pass. You know, we, um, and, uh, same same thing in the Midwest. You know, there's a lot of resorts in Wisconsin, Michigan, and uh, Minnesota, and um, so uh, I'm I'm not surprised by that. Um, I have been it, it's been very gratifying to get to know the the Northeast uh, ski culture as you as you as you uh, describe it and uh, meet the people back there and ski the the mountains. It's it's been you know, just a wonderful experience for me personally. Uh, so the one ski resort on this list I'm not really familiar with is White Pass. Uh, why is that one working out so well in Washington? Well, you need to get familiar with it. <laughs> because <laughs> that's, what, that's what I it's, hear. It's a great mountain. Um, it is, um, you know, it's, a, I don't know, 40 minutes from Yakima, Washington, which is the wine capital of the Northwest, a big ag, ag market, a wonderful community. That's to the east of, to the west, uh, it's about 45 minutes to I-5, and then maybe another half an hour north to uh, the Seattle market. Um, I mean, it, it sits southeast of Crystal Mountain, and, you know, there's no secret that the, uh, the Icon and Epic resorts in the Puget Sound region have pretty much maxed out. You know, Crystal stopped selling day tickets completely. I mean, right. that's yeah. unheard of. And uh, Snoqualmie and Alpental and Stevens Pass, um, you know, you, you, you can't get there on a, on a weekend or, you know, peak day. And I imagine Fridays aren't great either. So a lot of those people are heading south to White Pass and east, northeast to Mission Ridge. And some of them are even 
you know, making their way across the, the sound to um, Hurricane Ridge out on the, on the uh, Olympic Peninsula. And it's, I mean, it's, again, it's supply and demand, you know, the other places are sold out. So people are, and, and White Pass is, is just an incredible hill. So is Mission Ridge. Um, they're, they're great mountains and uh, people are discovering them. So you added a bunch of resorts mid-season. Uh, Saddleback and Waterville Valley were right at the very end. Do you see any of those jumping into the top 10 next season, just based on the activity you saw in those final weeks or months that they were on the pass? Yeah, no question. Uh, Waterville will be in the top five next year. Really? Uh, um, they came in number 12, and they were only on the pass for <laughs> They were only on the pass. Wait, wait, t- 12 total for the whole season? Yeah. You didn't add them till February. <laughs> That's insane. Exactly. But, you know, I, I think part of it was this. Um, you know, but about the time we added Waterville, a lot of people in, in uh, New England had used all their two days. You know, they've, they'd used up their easy ones, you know. Oh, right. And, uh, you know, if they wanted to get another two days, they were going to be driving to West Virginia or New York or, you know. Uh, so when we added Waterville, it's like, oh, this is easy. We, you know, we could, you know, we could get there and get back in a day. And so uh, that was kind of a bonus for those folks. And, um uh, but yeah, they came in uh, in twelfth place, and uh, I see them in the top five for sure. Unbelievable! So as I survey this top ten, Doug, I don't really necessarily see a common thread. But what do you see here? What are the attributes that make these mountains work as Indy Pass partners? Well, uh, I think I think the common thread is that they're all uh, great places to ski and ride, and um, you know, the Indy Pass um, gives you an opportunity to go visit these places that maybe you haven't been to before, you know? Um, yeah, but it, okay. So take a, a place like Pat's Peak, right? It, it's it's fine. It's a, it's a great little hill. It's it's good for what it is, which is kind of near an urban area. It, it's not on, in the same league as Cannon or Jay Peak or even Bolton, which it's above, mm-hmm. or especially not these, these uh, Western places. So so wh- wh- how does a place like that get on the same list as a place like Jay and, and just rise in that way and, and become just like, what, what, what is it about both of those places that kind of makes them work as, as partners and makes mm-hmm. people go to them? Young families. Hmm. 15% of our pass holders are kids, 12 and under. Okay. We've got another five or 6% that are teens. Okay. So you've got 20% of our pass holders are, are, are under the age of 18. That means another 20, probably 20% of our pass holders are their parents. So 40% of our pass holders are a family unit. And, you know, a place like Pat's Peak was made for, for young families. I mean, the, the kids area at Pat's Peak is, it's vast. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And, you know, there's 500 kids out there, you know, going through the little tunnel and, you know, doing the little obstacle course. And, and, uh, you know, the bar's got 200 parents that are just waiting for them to get done. That's an awesome bar. So, 
you know, every resort is different. Every resort has different appeal and, and, and works for different reasons. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of families. We priced the Indy Pass to attract young families. We wanted it to be, give them the opportunity to go out and explore and experience different resorts and get hooked on skiing. And that's what it's doing. So you have more than 60 resorts this year. So there's got to be a bottom 10 and I won't make you call them out, but what are the common attributes of these mountains that aren't necessarily drawing the redemptions that you'd like to see? Location. I mean, the the bottom three are in Canada. Okay. You couldn't get there. Um, You know, Eagle Crest, Alaska, it's hard to get to anyway, but you know, when you can't get on a plane, it's nearly impossible. And then, you know, some of these other places are, are, you know, remote, you know, um, and, um, you know, they're, uh, or they're, they're not near a large, uh, population base. Terry peak in the black Hills of South Dakota, it's just about on the border of Montana and South Dakota. Well, great terrain, great snow, you know, a very cool place, but hard to get to, you know, it's not close to anything. And, you know, generally most of our pass holders get there because they're on their way from Twin Cities to Red Lodge Mm, and, um, you know, or vice, vice versa, you know, know, not that many people go the other way to ski, but, uh, you know, it's really it comes down to geo and, you know, we have uh, China Peak is is uh, a bit of a on an island uh, down in the uh, the Sierras. It's an incredible mountain uh, with is great terrain and um, wonderful facilities, but there's nothing around them. You know, nobody in Fresno is going to buy a uh or the South Bay is going to buy an Indy Pass so they can ski two days at China Peak and, and then drive 400 miles to get their third and fourth day. Right. Do you see that same problem with Sunrise in Arizona? Yeah, no question. You know, they wanted to be on the pass, and, we you know, we love having them. And I, I can't wait to get some more, you know, partners down in the Southwest to give them some love. But uh, right now, you know, unless you're going to Arizona for a, summer you know to, to get away from the, the cold weather and you think hey let's take our skis and we can get a couple of days <laughs> you know it, it's it's just tough to get to so you've said in the past doug that your goal is to eventually get to around 85 partner ski areas in the indy pass is that still the right number it's hard to say but i think it's close uh we might push 90 you know depending on what happens in the southwest um I think that that uh, Canada um, presents a vast opportunity for the Indy Pass. There are a lot of ski resorts in Canada, something like 200 plus, uh, I think. And um, if we can uh, develop a domestic market in Canada for the Indy Pass, in other words, Canadians buying the Indy Pass to ski at Canadian resorts and not just, you know, so they can come down here and ski or, you know, uh, or for you know you, you know you send in U.S. Uh, skiers up there, um, then I think um, you know I think there's there there's perhaps room for a dozen or fifteen resorts just in Canada. Yeah, no question. There's an incredible density, especially in Ontario and Quebec, mm-hmm. where I, I mean in Quebec there's there's areas where uh, there's dozens of ski areas within yeah. 
you know, less than an hour of each other. Yeah, it, there's no question. And it's just, a, you know, just a matter of time to, to uh, cultivate those relationships. And, 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 you know, I think that over eventually it'll happen. I've, I've had gotten, you know, communications from Canadians who are like, come on, you know, what's your problem? Mm-hmm. <laughs> get, get up here. And, you know, we just had to put everything on hold this year. Um, but we're going to, you know, we're going to start uh, turning our attention to BC and, and Quebec and Ontario. And, and hopefully we'll, we'll uh, develop some new partners up there. So it sounds like you're preparing to move into some new regions. And as you said, kind of full in New England. You're not really considering new partners, particularly not for this coming season. So you kind of figure out how well that density is working. Uh, but the fact is you're you're now closing the doors to new partners and you have smaller places in the Northeast that may benefit from this. Like for example, uh, a butternut in Massachusetts um, mm-hmm. or maybe Bromley in Vermont, which is surrounded by, you know, it's right next to Stratton, which is an icon mountain. And, and maybe they'd be interested in some sort of partnership. So you know, your state admission, Doug, is you want to bring more awareness to all independent resorts um, by partnering with a select few, right? We have, you know, 90-ish ski resorts in New England and you're, and you're now with a dozen and, and, and the rest are, are kind of shut out. Well, a bunch of them are icon epic, but, um, but by partnering with this select few, aren't you hurting these independent mountains in the same way that the epic or icon passes have been accused of? You know, that's a really good question, Stu. Um, we get a, uh, contacted by uh, resorts all the time who'd like to join the Indy Pass. And for one reason or another, it just doesn't make sense. Usually it's because of density. And, you know, I always say if you can ski two days at four resorts for 279 and sleep in your own bed, you know, you're not going to buy a season pass. And um, if you don't buy a season pass uh, uh, and you used to do that at one of our resorts, then, then that's going to be a problem. Um, but we do worry about negatively impacting these smaller resorts. And, you know, our, our goal is to, is to shift awareness, um, to the, to the smaller players. And, uh, you know, our, our goal is to convince people that you don't need, you know, a huge, vast acreage and, you know, 3000 feet of vertical and, you know, a sushi bar and a disco and a spa to have a good ski day. Um, and I think that that message helps all indies. Um, but we do worry about impacting these, these small resorts as, as we attempt to, to shift that share, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to also shift share away from those guys. So another initiative that we've considered and we've floated this to a number of our, our key partners to see what they think is allowing all indie resorts, season pass holders purchase the indie pass at a discounted rate. Now this is not something that we're prepared to roll out now and it may not, may not roll out again in the future. And, you know, I'm kind of floating the idea here to, to, honestly do to see where it lands. But um, if we could do that, then these, these uh, other resorts that are, that are not able to join the Indy Pass um, at least can benefit from the Indy Pass by offering their season pass holders 
an opportunity to access our network at a reduced cost. And we think, you know, that's a benefit that, that will help them retain their season pass holders. Um, they can be, you know, affiliated with, with the Indy Pass. And um, um, so that's an idea that um, uh, I hope will, will come to fruition. But again, uh, we've got to see what we've got to get one more season under our belt and, um, you know, see, see what this thing can do in, in terms of uh, redemptions and yield and, and um, you know, overall uh, redemption patterns. And once we uh, do that, then I, I think we're going to be a, uh, we, we could look at that possibility, if not on a, on a, on a limited regional basis. Um, um, you know, there, there's, there's a number of ways that we could approach it. You actually have an interesting test case of that going on. And I think it was inadvertent in the Northeast. So you have the Berkshire Summit Pass, which is good at three mountains. Your two partner mountains, Berkshire East and Catamount, and Biscay, which is not a partner mountain. Um, they do not have common ownership, but they decided to share this pass because John Schaefer, who runs Berkshire East and Catamount, is the consultant for Mountain Ops at Biscay. So Biscay pass holders can buy up to an Indy Pass. Um, it's not an Indy Pass mountain. It's a little bit of an unusual situation, but is there anything you can learn from a, a relationship like that to test out this sort of concept? That, that's a great uh, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about that, but yes, um, I think we could. I think we could learn from... Uh, to see if Busquets, their pass holders, uh, take advantage of that uh, that rate. So let's talk about 21 to 22 passes and what you're offering this year. So prices went up as widely expected. We're at 279 for the base standard Indy Pass, which was $199 for its first two seasons. It's now your third season. How did you land at that as a fair price? You know, uh, after a lot of... <laughs> Cut wrenching, number crunching. I can tell you, um, this last season saw unprecedented demand, as I mentioned. You know, not only for skiing but for outdoor recreation, and um, the skier visit numbers just exploded. And the Indy Pass went along for the ride. And although we benefited from that increase in demand, you know, eleven hundred percent increase in redemption it definitely uh, impacted our financial model. And it caused a lot of people to wonder if we were going to start to have the same effect on lift lines as some of these other multi-resort passes have. And, you know, where the locals uh, start to have, you know, start to say bad things on social media about, you know, certain pass holders. Um, and, uh, you know, our model's different. We only have two days at each resort. It's not an unlimited pass. So, you know, there's, there's less uh, risk of that, but at the same time, um, it really caused us to, you know, take a step back and say, Oh, okay. Wow. You know, um, I think this is a, you know, a, a, a learning moment for us. And, um, you know, we, we looked at our price, uh, I think, uh, you know, just based on the resorts we added this year in the east, um, it's absurdly underpriced. And um, 85% of all of our revenue gets paid back to the resorts. 
you know, we take 15% off the top for, uh, you know, for operations, for marketing, for credit card fees, everything. And the rest gets distributed to our partner resorts based on uh, redemption. You know, the more redemptions they get, the more money they make. And um, so uh, the, the, the per visit payout that we give to each resort, it has to maintain a, a certain level. I mean, they all realize it's a discount pass and they don't expect, you know, full rack rate payment for, for each visit. Um, but, you know, we, we can't expect Jay Peak to, to, you know, stick around long if we give him 20 bucks a visit. You know, it's just not going to, it's not going to pencil. And at $199 a pop, uh, it's not too hard to get to 20 bucks a visit, right? You know, do the math. So, um, you know, our average ticket price is 80 bucks. Now that's a holiday ticket price. You know, average weekend is probably 75. Um, you take 75, you know, if you, if you can, uh, use your pass, um, you know, five days, it's paid for. And that's, you know, if that's on, on average, you know, if you go five days to Bolton, Jay and, um, Canon, you know, those guys are all a hundred bucks or more or close to a hundred bucks. So, um, it's all relative. And, um, you know, if you, if you look at, at, um, you know, 279, 199, it's a huge jump. Okay. No, no question, but look at the relative value, um, from where the pass was to where it is now. We launched with 34 resorts. We're at 66. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's long past time to raise the price and you look at the alternatives you know, and they're all great products and great mountains. And, you know, I, I, I would endorse all of them, but, but the Mountain Collective Pass, the Epic Pass, and the Icon Pass are all priced significantly higher than the Indy Pass. Um, most season passes are priced significantly higher. Uh, so if, you know, if you're looking for a, a, a multi-day pass, uh, it's still an incredible value. So it sounds like you paid out a little less than you had anticipated for this past season to your partners. And as you explained on the last podcast, that's based on a percentage of their rack rate for the day of the redemption. Mm -hmm. So it was a little bit less, but they all returned. Why do you Mm -hmm. think that they did, even though they didn't get as much as maybe they were expecting, they said, okay, this Mm -hmm. is working for us. We're coming Mm -hmm. back. Mm -hmm. They see the potential. And they, they saw what happened too this year. I mean, everybody got over overrun with, with skier visits. Um, you know, uh, resorts that, that never sold out on, you know, January 29th were selling out. And, and, you know, May 5th, or excuse me, March 6th, I think it was, the sat- first Saturday in March, that was like our second biggest day of the year wow. uh, for Indy Pass Redemption. And it kept going. The following weekend was huge. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it just it, these the, the the hordes just kept coming and coming and coming, <laughs> and you know, so they get you know they saw what was happening to their own pass holders and their own sales. They and and you know it it was unprecedented. You know, some of that will continue. There's no question. 
but um, you know they they understand that you know we've got some levers we can pull to to increase their yield. One of them is price increase. The other one is blackout days. And um, you know we worked with all of them, you know, or many of them, you know, and say, hey, what do you think of this price? You know, what do you think of these blackouts? You know, we're all in this together. Let's make it work. And and that's what they did. So. Yeah, they're all coming back, and uh, we're excited about next year. Um, and uh, I think that uh, these adjustments are going to continue to make IndyPass a very viable and competitive uh, product, and and the financial result for our partners is going to be equally good. So, talk a little bit about blackouts, Doug. You have five tiers of blackouts. Uh, you you've told me you're confident that skiers are smart enough to figure this out. Um, so that, you know, you have 22 different ski areas tiering themselves on one level or another of these blackouts, then that means you still have 44 that are wide open. Um, talk about how you arrived at these different tiers uh, and why you're confident this will work. Well, you know, we've got 66 partners and, um, you know, that old adage, uh, you can't keep all the people happy all the time, but if you can keep, you know, most of the people happy, most of the time you'll win. Well, you know, we want to keep all of our partners happy all the time. And, you know, if if we owned all the resorts, it'd be easy. We'd send out a memo and say, these are your blackout days. Plug them in. But, you know, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. You know, we, we have to, you know, um, we have to get 66 different resorts, all with different uh, strategies, uh, operating uh, uh, uh principles and, um, you know, all very different and unique resorts to agree to, to one set of blackouts. It's impossible. You know, uh, Lutzen mountains in Northern Minnesota is going to have a far different approach than uh, black mountain in, um, in New Hampshire, for instance, or Waterville, you know, is a better example because they are going to do a few blackouts, but, you know, I think we landed on some, some very reasonable and, um, uh, uh, some I, I think we landed on some very reasonable uh, blackouts. Um, the the main one is the holiday blackout period, which is Christmas, uh, MLK, and President's Weekends. It's 50, a total of fifteen days, and that's um, that's where I think 13, 12 or thirteen of our resorts are going to have their blackouts. And then, um, you know, uh, some, a, a few added in, uh, four more Saturdays and, uh, there's a couple of other, uh, little more extreme, uh, blackout, uh, periods that effectively make them make the Indy pass kind of a midweek pass. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. And, and I think that, um, um, if someone looks at the season and they sit down and they plan their season out to, to any extent, they can work around these blackouts and they can have a great, great time. And if they don't want to, or they're not able to Indy plus for an extra hundred dollars eliminates yeah. all of that. Right. Exactly. Um, for three seventy nine, there's no blackouts. You don't have to pay attention. You can just show up and ski. And at three seventy nine, that's still, you know, half the price of a, an Epic pass. And it, it's, you know, a third, the price of an icon. So, um, and, you know, particularly back there in the East, you know, I think we have uh, as good or better uh, lineup than, than anybody. So, 
And, and you know, again, Stuart, um, our, our pass is different than an epic and an icon. It's, uh, it's not an unlimited pass. It's not a season pass. You get two days at each resort. And if you're, you know, if you're trying to get 20 days next year, you're probably going to, you know, you're going to put a lot of miles on your car with an, with an Indy pass. But if you want to ski 10 days or less, man, there's no, no better deal. And if you, if you want to ski on the, on the holidays and the peak weekends, because our resorts aren't going to be overrun on those days, then 379 is an incredible value. There might be a better deal, and that's the Indy Spring Pass, um, <laughs> which you basically gave away. Uh, are, are you are you going to offer that again in 2022, or is it too early to say? Yeah, we'll offer it again. Uh, I think it's a great uh, opportunity for people who um, are getting recharged at that time of year. Uh, it won't be priced at 149. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, we'll we'll. We'll apply pricing to it after we see uh, how things go over the next several months. How about the assurance plan? You had a pretty strong assurance plan for the 2020 to 21 ski season that Mm -hmm. essentially gave folks a discount um, based upon the number of days that they skied. If it was four days or or fewer, are you going to bring back some version of that? Not really. I mean, there'll be a, there's going to be a, um, um, a small discount if you're not able to use your pass, but that was really put in place because of COVID. There was a lot of fear when we, you know, put put the pass on sale in in September, and um, you know that was kind of expected at that time. We tried to be uh, a little more aggressive than everyone else because nobody had really heard of the Indy Pass, and um, um, you know, we've, we've got a lot of credits going out to a lot of people and, uh, we're glad to, that we're able to do that. And, um, uh, but next year, no, it's going to kind of be back, go back to business as usual. And, and, um, um, you know, if you buy the pass, uh, we hope you use it. All right. Well, last question for you today, Doug, this is the first year that you have put the pass on sale so early the first two seasons you put it on sale september 1st why did you move the date to the spring because folks can buy their indie passes now so why Mm -hmm. did you move it up in the year and when do you think pass prices will go up you know that's a very good question um we moved it up because this is when people are buying their uh their season passes and their multi-mountain passes you know um there's a, a big surge in the spring and then there's another surge in the fall. And, you know, last summer, every, you know, people kept asking us, what, where, when can I buy it? When can I buy it? And, you know, it just killed us not to be able to say, well, you can buy it right now. So uh, we made the decision way back then that, okay, we've got to get this on sale earlier because people want to buy it. So, um, you know, basically we want to uh, serve the demand. Uh, we have a great payment plan. If, if you buy in May, uh, up until May 15th, I think you can uh, pay $39 a month and, wow. and uh, it's like a layaway plan. There's no interest. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the end of November, you'll own the pass and you can go ski in 39 bucks a month. As far as the price increase, you know, uh, the way we we're going to approach this is uh, we're going to, we're only going to sell so many passes at this early bird price of 279. Um, we, we we want it uh, we want about fifty percent of our passes to be priced at two seventy nine, and then we're going to have two more price increases um, 
we may have one on in on, in early September. We may have one in late November. But uh, once we hit our goal for uh, once we hit fifty percent of our goal for past sales this year, then we're going to raise the price. And that's the other way that we know we can achieve the average pass price and average visitation yield that we're targeting. So get them now because when they're gone, the price is going up and you know, we're not going to limit the number of passes. We'll sell you know a million if we have to, but the price <laughs> is definitely going up for the second, for the, you know, the 950,000 uh, out of the million whatever. Uh, do, do you want to scare people by telling them what that price increase will be to? Uh, we're not sure yet, you know, uh, to be honest with you, it's not going to be significant, but, uh, um, you know, price increase is a price increase. And if you're going to, if you're going to ski and if you're going to use the pass, why not get it now and save money and, and, you know, get it now when there's a, when there's a payment plan, you know, that it, it's like, it, it's, it's, it's less than the garbage bill. <laughs> I can't thank you enough for your time today, Doug. It's really exciting to watch this thing grow. Uh, congratulations on the new partners. And I'm wishing you the best for this 2021 to 22 sales period. I'm glad they're on sale now. And, and I hope you sell a million of them. Thank you very much, uh, Stu. It's been a pleasure. Always, always is. That's Doug Fish, founder and president of the Indie Pass and a good friend of the program and the newsletter. Really astonishing to watch Indy grow into what it's become. And I think this is just the beginning. This thing is going to keep evolving and keep growing, and I will be there to track every step of it. Thank you for that, Doug. Always good to talk Indy with you. And thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. What do you think about the Indy Pass changes? Do they make sense to you? Will you buy it for next season? Let me know. We're going to slow down the pace of the pod here, but it will keep coming during the off season to get those new episodes as soon as they are live. Remember to subscribe to the free Storm Skiing newsletter at stormskiing.com. And you might as well follow the storm on Twitter at Storm Ski Journal. Since I never get tired of talking about skiing, you can count on that being a steady stream of skiing related content all year long. Stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I will talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.